Morning. It is, uh, let's see, December 12th, about 10 o'clock, 36 degrees out, a balmy 36. Seriously, there's a guy in shorts up there. Uh, it says 36 degrees, it doesn't feel like 36. Still, I got my hat, just in case. I got my gloves. Here with Miss Ripley. Hello, Miss Ripley. And uh, let's see. Got my thousand words today, which is cool. Morning. Still pretty wet out here. Uh, maybe some wind noise today, and I apologize for that. But there's some wind today. We had a uh, man. I completely forgot what I was going to talk about. Um. So. Let's see, yesterday we went to a baby shower. I know we were doing stuff before that, but I can't remember what. I had a really tough time getting my words done yesterday. I don't know why. I think it's, you know, you take a hiatus and then it gets really hard to start up again. So, yeah. I lucked out though, because I kind of found the stride for this one piece. I had the uh, Dowager Queen working her skill at cold reading with the uh, members of the parliament. And that was pretty neat. Lots of fun. And, uh... Kind of sucks because um, I love this piece. And I, I, like, I love the way it worked out. And I would love to just take a couple thousand words from it, put it up online, say like, hey, check this out. And I can't, because unfortunately it involves spoilers from the uh, cliffhanger of the last story. I tell you, I've gotten more of a reaction from that cliffhanger than anything I've done in my books. At the same time, I do still feel bad about it. kind of funny though. I read some reviews that were just like, this would be an amazing book if he didn't cliffhanger us at the end. And I keep thinking, in about three months, next book's going to come out, and it's going to seem kind of silly. I mean, saying like, oh, I can't can't wait to find out how this story ends. Sounds kind of silly. I'm six books in the series now. I mean, years to come. I don't know. The point will still be valid, though. If someone wants to read this and not read the others, it's going to suck for them. Well, it won't, actually. I think it's a decent story in any case. But those who are looking at the set and decide to get only that one, 
get to the end and then say like, well, no, I don't want to see the next one. Those people are going to be upset. I'm not sure there are that many of those people, but those what are will not be happy. Wow. You don't see many people who are at home walking their dogs without a leash anymore. I mean, my dogs, I put them on the leash partially because I always think I'm going to get in trouble. Partially because I know that they will tend to run up to others. It's not always a good thing. Well, I think Jasper would run up to other dogs. I think Ripley would run away from other dogs. <sighs> Remember when I said it was really warm? Yeah, that wind chill factor is really killing me. <sighs> So yeah, um, when we were at the uh, baby shower yesterday, it's a baby shower for a co-worker, so I met with other co-workers, and uh, they mentioned that my company has a lot of new openings in Colorado, a lot of good opportunities. That sounded pretty attractive to me. Partially because it feels like it's a, a bit more conservative area. Don't get me wrong, I'm living next to an army base, so you don't get a whole lot more conservative than that, but still. I have my qualms about Maryland. But I like Colorado's conservatism. I mean, their version of it. It's conservatives who aren't afraid to, you know, make pot legal. I mean, I was talking with Nathan Lowell about them, and he makes them sound like they're Tea Party crazy, but at the same time, you see stuff like the, you know, like uh, marijuana legislation, and you start thinking like, well, all right, they're clearly being progressive in some areas. So, I don't know. And it, honestly, the appeal to me isn't political, because I don't have that big a problem with Maryland. Part of it is lower cost of living. That would be cool. Moving out there and keeping the same salary, which I've already talked to my company, it would be the same salary. Moving out there and keeping the same salary would be like a $20,000 uh, pay bump. So, holy crap, you know? Just the cost of living is so much more reasonable. 
And I get to hang with uh, Nathan Lowell, you know? Who is a hoopy fruit? We're also reaching one of those cusps in the EP's life where she's leaving one school, going on to a new one. And so, you know, she'd be starting over with a new school anyway. So it's a good time to move without messing with the kids' circle of friends. However, it would take us further away from the tribe out here. Most notably, Miss Paulette and the Cruzans. We're all good and close friends. So, I don't know. I'll admit, when I first heard about it, I was like, hey, that's an awesome idea. And ever since then, I've been trying to think of why it's awesome. Yeah, we could move to Colorado and um, be in mountains, I guess. And be far, far away from lots of people, I think. But our lungs would get used to having less oxygen. So that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. It's the funny thing is when I start making a pros and cons list, so far the only thing I can come up with is the cost of living. Anyway. So yeah, there's that. I doubt anything's going to come of it, but it seemed like an interesting thing to consider. What else? What else happened? I was reading today that Steve Martin auditioned for the part of Brad in Rocky Horror Picture Show. And that just seems all kinds of trippy. I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Of course, everybody wants to put him in a more physically active role, like Frankenfurter or Riff Raff. And of course, we've seen him ride a Harley before in Little Shop of Horrors, so... Could even be Meatloaf. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't be Rocky, not really. He wouldn't be a good Rocky, and Steve Martin would have honestly been a terrible Frankenfurter. I really believe that. I just don't think he's camp enough. He would have made a very odd Brad. Because 
Brad is supposed to be incredibly straight-laced. And uh, Steve Martin's just a little bit too much of a physical comedian. Anyway, saw that, thought it was cool. What else? I don't really have a lot to say today. Don't know if that's a good thing or not. Nathan pointed me to a uh, website where a traditionally published author had posted, here are the real numbers. The real facts of life about being a traditionally published author. And now, and the interesting thing was, you know, he sees the link, he reads it, he passes it around to other people, but it's already been yanked. It was yanked about three hours after it was written. So that immediately makes you go like, okay, well, what's so cool about this? You look it up on Google Cache and say, why'd they take it down? And on the one hand, I'm reading it and I'm like, this is not news. You know, there's, there's nothing new here. The uh, traditionally published author was saying, this is my first book. You know, I got an advance. It was like $10,000, but you need to understand that an advance is just an advance against future sales. So for about a year, I didn't get anything even after being published. Because it took a year to earn back the $10,000 that I would have made to pay off the advance. She goes on to say, and there's more good news because I sold the next two books for 15 grand advance each. So that's awesome. And she sounds like she's trying to be upbeat, but she points out authors don't get sent on book tours. Authors don't get uh, freebies. Authors don't even get free copies of their own books. I mean, they get a few, but not a lot. She says she makes 50 cents on every sale. And so uh, she's saying, I'm not complaining. I'm very, very happy with what's happened. But when people say we're all rich, I don't think they realize how much we really make. And, uh, so yeah, like I said, if you've been paying attention to, you know, other stories like this, other people telling about their success and failure with the industry, you say that this is not anomalous. This is the way it works for everybody. You know, she's saying, I only get paid every six months. What she doesn't say, possibly she doesn't even know, is that they get to make up how much they're going to give her. They choose whichever metric they want, whether it be books that we sold to the bookstore after paying for returns, less your agent fee, less whatever. You know, she's going on to that. She 
doesn't know, in many cases, I don't know if it's the case for this one, she may have been very canny about the way she set up her contract, but I know that there are many who aren't. They can choose whatever metric they want to be the least and judge you on that. You know what? We only gave away three of your books, and we're going to count giveaways as the only things that you get paid royalties on. So we're going to pay you 50 cents per book. You made a dollar for six months. Thank you, and have a good night. For instance. So anyway, yeah. If you've been reading this stuff, if you read Dan Sawyer, if you read Catherine Rush, and all of those then you get an idea for there's uh, not a lot of money in writing. That's cool. But they had to take it down. Which makes me think that even though she, this writer, with her, you know, I don't know, survivor's guilt, where she's constantly saying, yes, but my publisher is awesome. They did a great job, all that kind of stuff. Despite that, they still felt that just giving the information out was enough to have it removed. That's my guess. I mean, the author doesn't write it and then yank it because she changed her mind on writing it, seems to me. Seems to me it would be an external influence. What external influence would want to remove it? My guess is that would be the publisher. Publisher decides it doesn't look good to tell people that they don't make a whole lot of money self-publishing. So, so yeah, for me the story wasn't things are great, but I'm not getting paid very much. The story was publishers don't want you to know that they don't pay. Yeah, that's another good one. That's if they pay. You hear about these noble houses, these massive big six or big three or whoever, whatever it is. You hear about them as these great edifices of publishing. What you don't hear is all of these Helsinki Syndrome writers who are stuck with their contracts having to pay for their own promotional bookmarks and buttons. Going to cons that are within their state because they can't afford to do a real book tour. You know who does book tours? Scott Sigler. Scott Sigler and A. Kovacs. A guy who mostly self-funded all of this stuff. A man who is not afraid to ask people to pay to pre-order a book. A man who is not afraid to crowdfund if he needs to man who's not afraid to independently publish. That guy 
he makes enough money and does the business necessary to do a serious book tour. I mean like a nationwide book tour. And every step along the road, he's got junkies waiting to let him crash for the night. That's pretty cool. So anyway. It is not news, but apparently it's not well known. Traditional publishers do not love your work. Traditional publishers want all the books to sell, or as many as they can, and they could give a damn which one it is, unless it's a bestseller on its own. And you know what? Independent publishers are no different. They're just smaller. Independent publishers are able to feign close ties and personal treatment because they aren't able to get the number of authors and books put out at the same time. Sort of like saying, if we were big enough, we wouldn't care about you. Don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing them. It's their job to make money. It's just that a lot of authors don't see it like that. They see a publisher as a group that's out there to save them from their mediocrity and mostly to save them from all the hard work. They see the agent as the avatar who leads them to salvation. And sadly, such is not the case often. Because here's something to think about. If an author is getting 50 cents on every sale, how much is an agent getting? Like five? They make a nickel a book. So if you think an author has to scramble to make money, that's nothing compared to what an agent has to do. They have to get multiple authors selling that way. And they're expected to do the work that the author doesn't want to do. So that's not nothing. And don't get me wrong, I do think publishers gouge their authors. I feel bad for agents. I feel bad for authors. Because I don't think they see the business side very well. Man, I am really out of shape. I mean, I know it's cold and all, but I am breathing really hard for having walked a little over a mile.
take a few weeks off, man. You lose all the inertia. I should point out the flip side of that coin. There is balance in publishing. Yes, publishers do gouge you. Yes, agents are very selective because they have to decide where their energy is going to go. There is balance in there because while I make it sound like self-publishing is just the way, the holy grail, just because it's the way I've chosen, you got to understand, self-publishing makes a small percentage of the money, a small percentage of the sales that the larger ones do. Unless you are very, very clever and hit that sweet spot, like Mr. Nathan Lowell, because, man, he has hit the publishing jackpot. He's got a good fan base. He's got his back catalog selling. He is doing well. But he is an anomaly. We were trying to figure out just how much, how anomalous his success is. And uh, I don't have a number on that, but he's in a very small percentage. I don't know if you can see it. There is a big ass pelican right in the middle of the lake. It's kind of cool. Release it. Stay. I'll take your picture, honey. See if we can get you in the pelican. Ripley. Good girl, Rip. No, sit. Good doggy. Okay. Alright, here we go. Yeah, so so yeah, I diss um, traditional publishing a lot. I'm not a big fan of it myself. I do think that the publishers gouge us. But at the same time, if what you want to do, and let's face it, since we're not making a whole lot of money, we need to be able to get something else. You're not getting the coin, you gotta get the quan. That's a little Jerry McGuire there for you. So, what the publisher gives you in exchange for being messed with like that is uh, they put you on a bookshelf. And this is, for many authors, the big thing. They don't care if they're getting paid. They will go into Hawk to buy the tweed jacket with the uh, elbow patches and a pipe to make it look like they are the successful author type. 
and they don't care that they're not getting much money because they can go to a Barnes and Noble and say, this, this is mine. I did this, and now I'm selling it. I'm making money. All right, and my knee-jerk reaction to that is yes, but there's a hundred thousand other books in there. Some of them are written by people like Rachel Ray and Snooky. So it's not really a huge point of pride to say I'm selling fish at the same place that Snooky sells fish. I mean, I get that we are putting our hearts our thoughts and our dreams into this. And there is something noble and wonderful about it. It's just the I'm on a bookshelf thing. I don't get that. I'm not saying it wouldn't be cool. It would be cool. But honestly, the biggest reason for me for being on a New York Times bestseller list is the fact that I would be would have sold a huge number of books in order to get there. That would make me proud. Now, without the huge number of books, it's no point to me anyway. We're at about 30 minutes and I'm already getting the low battery again. It shut down yesterday, which I didn't expect. I think I may still have the Bluetooth turned on. That might be why it's wrong. <sighs> if I've got any network turned on, it drains the battery. I apologize for that. Should have thought of it before I started out. Whoa! Glass. Sorry, puppy, but walking on the wet mud was definitely better than walking on the glass. <sighs> so anyway, yeah. It, you know, the uh, there's an old joke. Wish I had enough money to buy an elephant. Like, I guess, what do you want an elephant for? He says, I don't want an elephant. I just wish I had the money. I'm the same way with bestseller lists. Wish I had enough sales to be a New York Times bestseller. Why do you want to be a New York Times bestseller? I, say, I don't. I just wish I had enough sales. And don't get me wrong, I know, as an indie self-published author, chances against that are very, very sim. Very, 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 very sim. But it's cool, because I'm still building the back catalog. I do still plan on having three books published by the end of this year. That's in addition to the five that I already have out, which means eight by the end of 2014, 
11 by the end of 2015. And I would have also doubled my back catalog in just two years. So that ain't nothing. And every time I put out a new book, I get new readers. I mean, people who don't know me. And that's the real benefit. That's the real step. Because once you got the whole back catalog and you've slowly been accreting readers, then hopefully by that time I'll be about ready to retire. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. Big angry, uh, I guess, basset hound? The most active basset hound I've ever seen. And uh, he's headed toward, well, just past a big furry angry dog. So yeah, three more books this year. Three more books next year. Keep getting them. You know, I've started picking up uh, Sigler's Junkies. Thought that was kind of cool. You know how you know that you're picking up Sigler's Junkies? Because those guys will write you letters. One of them wanted to get the full lyrics to uh, Riot of One, which is a rap song I started for Invito Rex. One of them wanted to, uh, wanted to know if I had any promotional materials so they could spread it on forums, links and stuff going to my books. How cool is that? Total stranger calls you up from out of nowhere and says, I want to support you. I want to support your work. That is flipping awesome. He's my new best friend. Best friend. Anyway, so, yeah. Vito Rex picked up more people. And that's despite the cliffhanger that everybody seems to hate. I'll tell you this, I'm not going to do it again. I mean, in my mind, it was a long story with two or three different books in it. And I was cool with that. But man, people were not happy with the... Uh, the fact that I cut it off in the middle of, I mean, cut off the story in the middle of one of the books. Well, not in the middle of one of the books. It was clearly the end of the book because it's like 90,000 words, but this is one of those things where they'd say I should have had a beat sheet or that I should have just waited and finished the book when it was 200,000 words instead. 
I don't know if people would read a book by me. It's 200,000 words. I'm not... I think I'm still... I mean, people say they like it, but I think I'm still one of those authors that they... Like, a comfort reading author. It's because it's fun for the moment. Not a long-term investment, you know? I could be wrong. It's hard to read people. You don't get a whole lot of feedback as an author either, so... Hard to tell. Anyway... Today, I got everything done on time. I got my whole day done. So I'm just gonna sit there and I don't know, do laundry, hang out, watch movies. I'm just gonna take it easy. Secure in the knowledge that I got my day's work done. May do an extra thousand words just because. Just because I can. It's a good feeling. You know what, I can just go back to bed. I can go back to bed and sleep the rest of the day away. Not gonna. Morning. But I could. Morning. Hmm? Yeah, I, I switch off from one day to the next. <laughs> yeah. Morning. All right, and here we are at the front door. Hopefully, I'll get to speak to you tomorrow.